welcome back with us as we close out the week in First Timothy. Um, not quite the end of the first chapter, but as we move toward um, the resolution of chapter one, we continue today, starting with verse fifteen. Um, this is if First Timothy has some sound bites, verses you may have heard. Um, this is one that comes up in worship now and then. It's a part of some liturgies. It is also a moment, we've talked about this before, in fact, we mentioned it yesterday, in Paul's writing, he does have these moments where he kind of almost gets caught up, and he gets very emotional, and he gets um, almost liturgical, and we see that here at the end of our passage. So let me just start, we'll jump in here, verse 15, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That Michael, this is really interesting in that on one hand, we have straight gospel theology. Jesus Christ, you, it is sure, it's worthy of full acceptance. Take it to the bank. Jesus Christ came for the purpose of saving sinners. But then Paul makes it biographical of whom I am the foremost. I am the chief sinner. Paul has used language like this in other letters, so this isn't unique, but it is uh, interesting because Paul wants the, the readers to understand, not just Timothy, but the others who will hear this letter, that he considers himself the most unlikely to have been called into Christ's service. With his history, he mentioned that yesterday in that passage, he, he now says, I am the foremost sinner. That's that's no small phrase. That that carries a lot of baggage. And I think it's very interesting the way that Paul personalizes his own relationship with that larger theological statement. Yeah, I think that we sometimes miss the force of that, to be honest, Clint, the extent to which Paul hinges his authority not on his personal merit— uh, not on the work that he's done. And by the way, we miss this, maybe especially us Protestants with our focus on salvation by grace, uh, which is certainly a Pauline idea. But I think we miss the extent to which Paul could rightly claim authority of the subject matter. I mean, Paul is obviously well-studied. Any scholar who has done work on the book of, say, Romans is going to tell you that Paul is a thoughtful individual, he's a well-read individual, and in many ways, he's a generative individual. When he makes an argument, Paul's not just repeating party line. He's doing some new work, and his work has become the literal foundation level, the backbone upon which we as Christians now stand as people of faith. So looking at this phrase, Clint, I just I want to note when he says that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and then he adds himself, of whom I'm the foremost, I think that that does two things. First of all, it makes a rhetorical case. In other words, it is to say uh, that Paul uh, is putting himself in a position of leadership over these false teachers. He's, of course, a mentor to Timothy. And he's saying that he doesn't deserve that position. It's rather been given to him uh, by grace. And he's been saved by the one who gave it to him not by no merit or work of his own. So I think there's a leadership aspect at play. But I also think there's a example aspect. When Paul 
the apostle writes to Timothy, his mentor, and says that he, Paul, is a sinner. I think we as the reader, as a Christian, take from that and rightly take from that an invitation to find ourselves in the same kind of relationship, that we too are sinners, that we too are the ones who Christ came to save, and that uh, our understanding of the law, our understanding of what it means to be Christian, should be informed by the reality that we too, like Paul, are the ones who Christ came to save. That we, it's not them, it's not those people, however we define them, it's us. And that's an essential element of receiving the gospel. Yeah, just two quick things about this, this single verse. Uh, I'm not sure there is a better summary of Paul's understanding of the gospel than the first part of this verse. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That is, that's a wonderful encapsulation of how Paul understands the gospel. The purpose of Jesus Christ is to save sinners, and that is true. That is trustworthy. That is acceptable. And then the second thing here is very subtle, of whom I'm the foremost. Um, this is, of course, humility on Paul's part. It, it is indicative of his understanding of who he is, both by himself and in Christ. But you also have to understand it stands out against the backdrop of teachers who have elevated themselves. Remember that in this first chapter, we've had Paul refer to teachers of the law who think they have some secret knowledge, who think they understand something, who stand above those they would teach as if they alone know this truth, this hidden truth, and they have to uncover it for others. And Paul is example, being an example of exactly the opposite. Look, I'm not standing above anybody. I, Jesus came to save sinners, and I'm the worst sinner. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a man of violence. I don't have any special knowledge of anything. I have been saved in Jesus Christ. And because I've been saved in Jesus Christ, that's what I can speak about, and that's what I can teach. And I, and I think, you know, he doesn't come out and say it, Michael, but I think this is a significant contrast to those that he's um, not happy with. Yeah, right. And in, in many ways, uh, Paul often makes an argument that is intended to uh, undo his opponents. And in making that argument, he also shows the path forward. And to your point, I think the simple word to define this, Clint, is humility. Paul, yeah. I, I think sometimes he does use humility to make a point against his adversaries. Uh, but here, I think as a reader, this is true spiritual exemplar kind of work. That He's making the case to Timothy, who is a leader, this is how you lead. And I think that should inform our reading of it. Yeah, so let's move on here, the next verse, 16. But for that very reason, I received mercy so that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ, might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. So this is along the lines of what we heard yesterday. I received mercy as the worst sinner. Christ showed me mercy that he might display patience to others, that he might make me an example of those who would come to believe in him. Uh, not, not quite. I mean, Paul's not playing the martyr card here, but along the lines of 
if Jesus could reach into my life in the place that I was and with the things that I was doing, then it, it should be it should inspire confidence in others that Jesus can reach out into anyone's life. And I think, you know, Paul believes that and Paul is preaching. So uh, there's some there's some overlap of those things. But but again, I, Paul reaches into his personal experience and says Jesus was supremely patient with me. And that's an example for all who would come to believe in him for eternal life. And and notice again very su- subtly that whenever Paul is going to talk about what do you need to be saved, it's never secret decoder rings. It's never mix this passage with this passage. And if you squint at it just right, you'll begin to see it. It's not, it is clear. It is obvious. It is completely knowable. It is understandable. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for Paul, it's that simple. And not only is it that simple, but that's the thing that must be understood. Now, Clint, would, wouldn't you say in, in some ways, uh, verse, 15 here, uh, this saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is, I think one could make an argument at least, uh, the linchpin argument for Paul, that fundamentally Jesus had a purpose. It wasn't an accidental kind of discovering of his identity. It wasn't that Jesus one day woke up and decided uh, that he needed to do good in the world. He wasn't just a great teacher on a mission. Uh, I think he would make the very firm case that Jesus was single-minded in his purpose to save the lost. When Paul says, I count myself as chief among those, uh, you know, Paul is making the case that I think we see fleshed out in so much of his other work that that ultimately— It's not about our status, and it's not about where we start, uh, whether we grow up in a Christian home or not. It's not about even the fruit of our conduct. I mean, we know that our choices have consequences, and uh, the choices we made long ago have ways of still reaching into our present. But, But when Paul looks to Jesus, he sees mercy that has come by grace, by Jesus' own purpose and his own determination. And, you know, Clint, to your point, that sounds really, really elementary. I mean, that almost sounds like first grade Sunday school kind of material. And to Paul's credit, he doesn't need to use fancy words to communicate his point. Um, But if you're going to look deeper, what may appear to be shallow is the depths of the gospel. And and maybe, you know, as we turn to verse 17 here in in a moment, uh, you know, we'll see that there is a lot of beauty in what Paul's sharing, and and it is a cause of celebration. It moves the spirit. At least I think it should, if we read the text rightly, it should move us to the same gratitude that Paul experiences. One of the... um... One of the upsides of what we're doing going just a couple of verses at a time is that it hopefully gives us an opportunity to kind of dig in and and hopefully share some depth in the passage. One of the downsides is it's easy to disconnect with what we've already seen because even just a few verses ago, that may be several days. But remember, early on in this chapter, we had that list of sins, right, of lawbreakers, the law 
is not for the innocent, but for the godless, the sinful, the unholy, the profane, the murderers of father, mother, the perjurers, etc., etc. Now, what, again, if we look at this in the backdrop of Paul's theology, what do we see? The law is to convict us of our sin. Jesus is to save sinners. So, again, we have for Paul a clear hierarchy. The law is not unhelpful, but the law's help to us is in pointing us to the necessity to be saved in Christ. All that the law can do is show us that we are unlawful, to show us that we are sinners, to show us that we have broken it. The law is only a mirror to convict us. And having been convicted, we then must turn past the law to Christ because what did Christ come to do? Save sinners, including Paul, who counts himself among the chief of them. And as, as Paul considers this, as, as he kind of retells this, he is moved to one of these moments of praise. So let me read it here, and then we can unpack it a little bit. To the king of the ages, immortal, uh, sorry, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And when Paul puts an amen in, you know that he's done this. We saw this in Romans. We saw this in Philippians. We we see these moments where Paul it kind of is moved to a, an almost lyrical, an almost liturgical kind of moment. Uh, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. In Reflecting on what God has done in Jesus Christ, Paul can only stand in awe of it and only can give praise of it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. These are the moments where I just I really appreciate Paul, and I think that he helps us both at a theological sense and at a devotion, as a devotional sense as well. I, I don't know if you agree with this, uh, Clint. I, I think the danger sometimes— of studying the Bible is that we dissect it, and you know that you you have to kill a thing to dissect it, to open it up, to to break it into parts. Well, sometimes we get into the words, you know, what did that word mean, or what does this grammatical structure mean, or how what does it mean in this context? And all that's important. I mean, don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's worth stepping back, right? And let me put this up. L- look at verse seventeen. It's worth seeing. The laudatory, joyful, uplifting of beautiful words. I I mean, this is prayer at its best, a a kind of adoration, a a kind of thanksgiving. Uh, We often find that words fail us. You know, we don't know what to pray, or we don't know how to say thank you. Uh, You know, Paul comes to a moment in his writing where he just sets aside the argument. I mean, this doesn't advance his point. It doesn't help Timothy uh, grow as a leader. It doesn't help him address these conflicts within the church. Those conflicts remain. But for a moment, Paul's moved. And as readers, I think it's okay, not only okay, I would say it is an important measure of our reading of the Scripture that we stand under them, ready to be uh, inspired and taught by them, that at some moments, we, like Paul, 
will be lifted up and say, thank you, God, to the one, to the only one who could have done this or planned it, to the one who goes beyond all time and all ages, right? Paul steps back to see the grandeur for just a minute. And I think as a reader, we can do the same. And if you do that for just a moment, just step back, Clint, it is inspiring. It's beautiful. The idea that Jesus would come with but one purpose, and that is to save sinners, of whom we are included. That is an incredible plan. And if we really allow the force of it to hit us, I think we would join our words with Paul's. Yeah, and and I certainly understand what you're saying, Michael. This isn't instruction for Timothy, but I do think it's instructive because because Paul believes deeply that ultimately the gospel will always point back to Jesus Christ and through Christ to God. And and so at some level here, I I think Paul is displaying, if not if not outright saying, he is displaying the reality that preaching and teaching that points back to the teacher is incomplete. That that the best preaching, the best teaching, the best theology will not be about the one who gives it. And again, think in the background. There are these men who are out there saying, we have this thing figured out. We know the truth. We understand it. And Paul says, look, that's not it. If you want to follow the gospel, that is never going to point at a person. Even myself, the chief of sinners, that's going to leave you considering and reflecting on the work of God in Jesus Christ. And to that, we can only say amen. And and I do think um, by framing it that way, it, it must encourage Timothy to kind of keep the main thing the main thing, because Timothy might think, yeah, this is about dealing with all of these issues, and they do need to be dealt with. But this is really about something far bigger than that. It's about what is the nature of the gospel in the church and how does it how does it come to people and what does it do to people who receive it? Yeah, I think that's really, really helpful, Clint. And I think uh, you know, maybe uh, as we as we sort of think on this section of text that we address today, you know, I do think there is something instructive as Paul turns autobiographical, right? As he uses uh, that me language. Uh, so the same for us. I mean, there's a sense in which we too might learn uh, that we are tempted in our daily life to allow that circle to revolve around our own experience, our own friendships, our own work, our own problems, uh, no matter how small or great they might be. You know, what Paul does here is make it clear that above and far beyond both temporally and spatially, all of those problems that we're aware of is a God who has a master plan at work. And if we truly believe in that plan, I mean, Clint, I think it would inspire us as disciples, as Christians, uh, to return thanks, to express uh, a kind of awareness of God's greatness as we see Paul doing right here. Yeah, and I don't want to run us over on time, Michael, but I do think maybe one last word uh, potentially would be helpful. I I think it is helpful at at the risk of unpacking, I guess. Um, This word save is important but sometimes misunderstood. In the church, we sometimes read that as synonymous with go to heaven. Um, But this Greek word save 
means more than just the state of our souls after we die. It, it, it is a word that has a sense of wholeness, a sense of life. It, it, when Paul says he came into the world to save sinners, he doesn't just mean get them into heaven. He means fill them with something, fill them with depth, with, with um, genuineness, with joy, with peace, with wholeness. Um, th- this is a big word, and because of the way we've sometimes used it in the American church or in the history of the church, sometimes we make it a small word, and I think we do it a disservice because it is far larger a concept than we sometimes read it to be. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think that uh, the occasion will come in this book to to flesh that out even more. Yeah. Well, uh, friends, thanks for being with us on a Thursday. Uh, We hope that uh, this finds you well wherever you are. Hope it encourages you and inspires you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week when we continue on uh, through 1 Timothy. But until then, uh, be blessed. Mm